Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night. It is April 9th, the year of our Lord, 2020. We are very happy, happy to have you with us. Yeah, we'll get that out of the way now. We've got a lot to get to tonight. We're actually going to talk some college football playoff expansion, not because we necessarily want to, but because we are more or less being forced to, because you've been talking about it a lot. So we're going to give you our take on that again. I'm also going to somehow tie in WrestleMania 36 and what the WWE just pulled off somehow, some way to what we may see in college football. I know a lot of you guys may not be aware of what they just pulled off because maybe you're like me and you don't watch the modern day product, but really, really, really incredible what they were just able to pull off. I'm Josh Pate. This is The Late Kick. We're happy to have you with us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the YouTube channel, click on the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, or if you're not, click on the link. And if you are already, please give us a five-star review there and leave us a comment. We would really appreciate that. As I said, we've got a lot to get to tonight. I also am going to do some Q&A at the end of the show. So we have got a jam-packed show from many, many different angles. However, I wanted to, as I get my notes in order here, I wanted to start, there we go. I wanted to start with a report that's been circulating a report by Brett McMurphy from Stadium that's been circulating for now a couple of days. Uh, it looks like he took some time, did Brett McMurphy, and he reached out to a whole bunch, uh, uh, about all of them, actually, Power 5 and G5. Now, for those of you who don't really care about these abbreviations, Power 5 is a Power 5, ACC, SEC, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, those athletic directors. And the G5 is like your American Athletic Conference, etc. And so he reached out to a bunch of ADs across all of FBS. And he was asking them about playoff expansion. Now, I want to give you my take, but first I want to give you the takeaways from what this report shared. Brett McMurphy, the big headline to take away, 88% of FBS ADs want playoff expansion. Again, 88% want to expand beyond the current four-team model that we have. I want to read some quotes. Just follow along with me. These are mostly, I think they're all anonymous, actually. More and more fans are only concerned with the playoff, one Power 5 AD said. That's sad, but true. So we should expand the playoff when possible. Even if that impacts the bowl system, we have to figure out a way. Said another anonymous athletic director from the Power 5, more teams in the playoff is good for the fans, and it's good for the student athletes. We continue. How about this G5 AD getting really mouthy? If they go any other way and they don't include automatic qualifiers for G5 teams, it would create the opportunity for an antitrust lawsuit. I'll get back to that. That's a really fun quote. How about uh, one group of five AD preferring the eight teams to be composed of the Power 5 Conference champions, two of the top-ranked G5 teams, and one at-large selection. That is your eight-team field. His quote, that way, with two non-Power 5 teams making the playoff, it would keep the incentive for the investment in opportunities for more teams. No or little access for the non-Power 5 teams would drive disinvestment. All right. 
Let me give you some notable figures here. Power five ADs. Now let's just say this slowly because there are a lot of numbers and a lot of letters and I'm really going to make it make sense in just a second. Power five athletic directors. 17% of them support the current model, four teams. 83% want to expand this. Out of the G5 athletic directors, only 9% support the current model and 91% want to expand. To be honest with you, I'm surprised it's as low as 91%. I, I thought all the G5s would be on board with that. Now came the next question. I'm already not on board with playoff expansion. You know that, but it doesn't matter because I'm not an athletic director and these people are, albeit anonymous right now, but they are. And so the question was posed. Well, since you all want to expand, what should an eight-team playoff look like? Who should get in? Now, this is where things really get fascinating. Out of Power 5 athletic directors, 59% supported a model where all the Power 5 conference champs get in, two at-large teams get in, and one spot is guaranteed to a G5 team. UCF, Boise, you understand. 35% of the Power 5 athletic directors want a model where you just have five conference champs from the Power 5 and then three at-larges. And 6% just want to take the top eight teams. Spineless. I'll tell you why in just a second. Out of the non-Power Fives, so the G5 athletic directors, 71% of them, so an overwhelming majority, want the 18 model where it's five Power Five champs, two at-larges, and then the top G5 team. So they get one guaranteed spot at the table. Another 18% of them support other. And I'll tell you what the other is. I think it was vocalized anonymously in the Brett McMurphy piece. A lot of those G5s want five Power Five conference champs, and then three guaranteed spots for them. That's what they want. I don't think they'll get it, but that's what they want. I want to just give you a metaphor. So I just threw a lot at you. Don't worry. You don't need to remember all those numbers. I want you to think about something. Let's say I've got two televisions in front of you, and you can only focus your attention on one TV. You have got on one TV a dude that has a high wire strung all the way across the Grand Canyon, and he's about to walk it. And then on the other TV, there's a guy who has the same grade and same strength high wire strung across a river, 20 feet above the water, and he's going to walk it. I want you to think about which TV you're more likely to watch. Grand Canyon, 20 feet above a river. 1,000-foot fall potentially, 20-foot fall potentially. Think about that. Quick takeaways from what we just talked about here. I don't care about the 88% number. Of course, an overwhelming majority of athletic directors are going to want playoff expansion. No one's in this for the greater good of the sport. If you're an athletic director, if you're a head coach, if you're a fan, really, for that matter, your number one interest is your program, your university, your team your best interest. So very few people who were surveyed about this, even if really they thought the integrity of the game would be harmed by expanding the playoff, would opt to place what's best for the game over what's best for their university. Don't pay attention to the 88%. Here's what we can't know. Who is in the 12%? Not all voices at this table are equal, nor should they be. This is not about equality, and it's not about inclusion. Some of the voices at this table from maybe major programs in the Big Ten, major programs in the SEC carry a lot more weight. They should, for what I would say are obvious reasons. And therefore, if they don't want to move, 
you may not have a whole lot of movement. I don't care, and I actually found it somewhat humorous that there was threat of an antitrust lawsuit by one of these uh, a group of five athletic directors. Let me read this quote again. Again, this is a Brett McMurphy piece from Stadium. An anonymous G5 athletic director, when asked about expanding to eight teams in a playoff, if they go any other way and they don't include automatic spots for G5, it would create the opportunity for an antitrust lawsuit. Well, that's one way to look at it. Here's the other way to look at it. That was Dan Mullen at Florida. I think we just saw some Georgia B-roll. We've got Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama. We've got all these big programs that bring in money that dwarfs what most G5s bring in. They have stadium sizes that dwarf. They have investment. They have tradition that dwarf those of your average or even top-tier G5. What say, as you threaten your antitrust lawsuit, they just peel that NCAA sticker off their helmet? and toss it away. Then what you gonna do? They're not at the table anymore. They found a new table to sit at. They said, it turns out you guys needed us a whole lot more than we need you. Why don't we just branch off and form a new entity entirely? Try the lawsuit. I would, I would actually encourage you, try the lawsuit. I also want you to notice this. When I said spineless, in reference to a lot of the Power Five conference commissioners, I again wanna circle back. All I have ever cared about is just crowning the best team in college football. And I think from a fan's point of view, most of you, even the ones who want to expand the playoff, what you really want is you want to find out who the best team in college football is. We just differ in the ways that we think are best to go about that. A lot of these folks in the athletic director chair don't care about any of that. Obviously, they care about money and they care about access and they know that they've got a seat at the table. And if they do, then there's more guaranteed money for them. Hey, I'm not, I'm not painting them as evil, I understand. That's probably the way that I would act if I were an athletic director. But here is where all of the intellectual dishonesty really comes to light. I told you, the Power Five ADs were asked, as part of this Brett McMurphy piece, if we do go to an eight-team field, what should be the model? Only 6% of Power Five athletic directors said that we should just take the top eight teams. Allow me to translate. If we expand to eight and we just take the top eight teams, the SEC is going to run roughshod over this playoff. And if not the SEC, then a combination of the SEC and the Big Ten and Clemson and Oklahoma any given year. So let's expand it, but then let's make sure that we get a guaranteed spot at the table too. Here's where it's intellectually dishonest. I don't care about a conference championship. I don't care about automatic bids. I don't care about a guaranteed spot at the table for anyone. I don't think anyone should have an automatic bid before a season has even been played. I don't think a conference, including the Southeastern Conference, including the Big Ten, should have an automatic spot at any table. I, again, view the reason why as pretty obvious. So we circle back around to talking about the best way to crown a national champion. And I've always been of the four and no more mentality. I put a simple formula on the table. This is how my mind works when I think about what makes college football great. Exclusivity makes it great. There are only four spots at that table at the end of the year. Just because someone's mad at the end of the year doesn't mean something's broken. It means you've created something valuable, that being playoff spots, from exclusivity. Exclusivity equals value, equals urgency, equals drama. That's why you can have a game in college football in week four, like 
uh, Notre Dame, Georgia this past year, I think was in week four. Notre Dame goes into Athens. For all you know, Notre Dame's playoff chances are done when they lose that game. Because you look at the rest of the way, they may not have the strength of schedule necessary to climb back. You don't know what it does to Georgia. We don't know. It's not that their season is over. It's that they are no longer playing with a giant safety net. Let's go back to the metaphor that I suggested that you keep in the back of your mind. Because this, make no mistake about it, is what makes college football great. When I made this argument, and when I always make this argument, someone comes back and says, hey, if we take away the value of one or two games in the regular season so that on the back end we can have more playoff games, I'm all for it. I'm not. I'm not all for that because I'll be honest with you. I'll take one big-time Alabama LSU game or one big-time Georgia-Auburn game or one big-time Big Ten or SEC championship game over seven Games to find out who the seven or eight seeds are that are going to be three-plus touchdown underdogs in the first or second round of your playoff. I don't care about that. Meaningful is very relative to me. Those games, the ones that pit great versus great, those mean a lot to me. Whether Cincinnati or Memphis get into the playoff as a G5 automatic, that's not a meaningful game to me. I don't care about it. You may differ in opinion. I'm just giving you my opinion because I think that's what you want from me, and then we can agree to disagree, or I can try and change your mind. But let's go back to the metaphor, because here's what means everything to me, and here's what is very, very exclusive to college football, the regular season. It's a very tired argument for those of you who differ in opinion, but yet I keep bringing it, because you say creating more playoff spots creates more meaningful games, and I'm telling you it doesn't, because by default, when you increase the percentage of numbers at the table, then you decrease the value by default. And then what we get is instead of being able to watch the guy tightrope across the Grand Canyon, we just watch some teams tightrope across a river 20 feet above it. Why would you rather watch the Grand Canyon? Be brutally honest. It's because someone could die. No one's dying when they fall off a rope above a river 20 feet. And likewise, I would rather tune into one game that has the consequence of the Grand Canyon tightrope walk over 10 games that has, oh my goodness, I mean, we lost, darn it, we were going to be the number two seed, now we're going to be the number six seed. Oh well, that's not college football. Never should be what it is. No one should operate with a safety net. But yet that's what a lot of people are suggesting that we do, and that's what they're suggesting uh, is the best way to take the game. But I go back. Listen, it's obvious this is going to happen eventually to me. I don't know if it's going to happen in the next couple of years, but when the next round of TV contracts and playoff contracts uh, come up, yeah, it's probably going to happen. I don't have to like it. But even when we expand this thing, you will have to drag me over broken glass to ever acknowledge that guaranteed spots at the table are what's best for college football. No, it may be what's best for a conference, it may be what's best for a program. It's never what's best for college football. Automatic bids from any conference at the beginning of the year are never what's best for the sport. But I digress. Move on. Every time I talk about expansion, I sound like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh because that's my attitude. I guess it's going to happen. What could college football learn from WrestleMania? What a question. I woke up this morning, had no idea we were going to talk about this on the show tonight, but I read a, uh, I think it was from Business Insider. I don't know. 
It's an article I don't normally get a lot of ideas for the show from. I'll tell you that. But I'm reading about the returns financially that WWE got from their latest WrestleMania. So let's ask the question right off the top. What could we learn about the future of college football from what World Wrestling Entertainment just did with WrestleMania? Most of you, some of you probably aren't aware of what just happened. Obviously, we've got coronavirus to deal with. And over the last month, month and a half, how long has it been, Colin? We've seen college football grind to a halt. NCAA tournament was stopped dead in its tracks. Masters had to be postponed, which I think was a very good idea. I'll tell you why as it relates to this in just a second. And so everything stopped except for pro wrestling. And Vince McMahon had a decision to make. His Super Bowl is every late March, early April. It's called WrestleMania. I used to watch it every single year. I'm not a fan of the current product, but a lot of you are. And so he had a decision to make. They had WrestleMania scheduled for April 5th in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. They sell it out every year, no matter where they are. They could get 100,000 people at this event if they wanted to. So they probably had conservatively 60,000 tickets sold to this event. And they had to move it, but they didn't cancel it. They moved it from a big football stadium into their performance center. See, once they bought up all the territories, there were no more minor leagues for wrestling, so they had to create their own minor league. And they opened up a developmental territory of their own down in Orlando. They got a big performance center there, and they got this this small arena where they can let the talent do simulated stuff like they're eventually going to do in the big league. So... They took that little arena and held WrestleMania in it with no fans. They did it over two nights. This was this past weekend. I thought it was a horrendous idea. I thought it was a terrible idea. Let me tell you how wrong I was. They ended up generating, at last check, close to 1 billion views across all platforms. Guys, there are only about 7.5 billion people on the planet. And about a billion views were netted across all digital platforms for WrestleMania in an empty arena. What does this have to do with college football? First, let me tell you, I thought they should have gone the way of the Masters. I thought they should have postponed and moved the event to later in the year. They're for having your big crowd and your spectacle and your showcase of the immortals, as they call it. You just would have had it a little bit later. Well, that's not what McMahon wanted to do because, in his words, I think he was quoted as saying, you know, Everybody else was walking one way. We were going to be the one tent pole that stayed. And that's all well and good. I mean, the guy knows a lot more about his business than I do. And he knows his audience a lot better than I do, apparently, because I thought it was terrible. But I'm not his audience anymore. I don't watch anymore. When I log onto his network, I watch stuff from 1997. I don't watch stuff from 2020. So point being, crisis forced innovation for them. Now, what I found to be abhorrent, apparently a lot of you loved, they went all kinds of different ways with this, what they turned into an opportunity. They included cinematography. They had a couple of matches that were shot like movies. Undertaker was in one of them. They had a couple of like cinematography-based action movies that were matches, which makes no sense to me. But again, I don't have to get it if his audience gets it. And what happened was that was not in the game plan two months ago. A lot of what they did, a talent's ability to work without a crowd that they've been able to lean on as a crutch their entire careers, and all of a sudden it's not there. Some people drowned and some people soared, and you found out a lot about your talent roster, but you also had forced innovation, which is exactly what's happening in college football right now. You don't realize it. Because right now, we're not past this in college football. And there are a lot of staffs that are, well, every staff is sitting at home, and there is no game plan. 
Even, I think, the worst of contingency plans, I don't think many of these staffs ever had contingency for, well, what happens when there's a global pandemic and we just don't have spring and we don't do anything and we just have to sit home, but yet everyone's having to learn on the fly. My point is, Alabama's doing it the best way Alabama knows how. Arizona State's doing it the best way Arizona State knows how. When we get to the fall, you're going to see somebody figured it out. And it may not be who you expect, but someone was innovative. Someone created new ways to do for their program what spring ball would normally do. You're without spring. Whatever development, whatever install and implementation of new systems you would have had, you don't have it. But yet, the regular season's still going to arrive, guys. I'm telling you, I would bet every dollar I have we're going to have college football in 2020. I tweeted that out Monday. Some people laughed. Some people agreed. In fact, a lot of people agreed. Well, lo and behold, EDS ESPN's Adam Schefter today. He's a little bit more reputable. I will grant you that. Got a few more sources in the back pocket. Said the overwhelming thought among college football power brokers is that there will be a season this fall. Season's going to arrive. If you didn't get it figured out in the time of crisis, you're going to be exposed. Now, here's what we don't know yet. All the stuff with WrestleMania has already happened. We can look in our rearview mirror and see that. Who figured out a way? Who figured out a way to simulate installing? Who figured out a way to, using Zoom teleconferences, accomplish with a quarterback and a new offensive coordinator what previously you would have been on a football field doing? And also, how are the lingering effects of the innovation that was forced through crisis going to bleed into the future of college football? Here's one that I think a lot of you in the business world are asking. See, a lot, of, a lot of people in our industry, in the media industry, have understood for a while, uh, we don't physically need to be in an office. With the advancements in technology, a lot of other people, it's not exclusive to ours. I've just worked in this industry, so I know it a lot more. People have said for a long time, you know, I understand having the physical workspace, and I understand that there are you know, circumstances that require us to be together, but man, we could really make a lot of this happen from home. Well, here at 24-7 Sports, we've made a lot of stuff happen from home. In fact, in a lot of ways, we haven't skipped a beat as a company. A lot of our internals have looked even better than we thought they would have looked if everything was normal. And so, how does that apply to college football? What do you see that you're able to do without physically being in the office and physically being around your players that you can translate to the future even when things go back to quote-unquote normal? Now, I'll tell you one that's been expressed to me by a few few people. I was talking to a Power 5 head coach the other night and asked kind of a derivative of this question. And the one piece of feedback I got overwhelmingly is he said, we were in the office too much. I thought it was a requirement. And the main reason that this coach thought it was a requirement was just that's the way they'd always done it. And he knows that that's roughly the amount of hours the competition spends in the office. Therefore, if we're not in the office that much, we're falling behind. Well, maybe there are ways to get creative. Dabo Swinney's already been doing this now. They don't work 120 hours a week at Clemson. They don't work in the office 120 hours a week. I think a lot more staffs on the back end of this will find that, hmm, it turns out we were okay. And it turns out a lot of the stuff that we still need to do can be accomplished while you're home with the family. Now, I know a lot of folks are going to go right back to doing it the way that they always did. I'm just telling you from installs and implementation to the way strength and conditioning works. Maybe, for example, you love the fluidity and flexibility of your players this fall, even when they have not lifted heavy, like maybe previously your strength and conditioning program would have had them lifting. Maybe you find out 
you had some things a little bit backwards. Maybe a lot of the stretch and stride and band work and just overall calisthenic and high intensity interval training work that are being done right now, maybe that better prepares you for a football season than how many times you can squat 405. Not that there isn't a lot of requirement for power in this sport. Please don't get me wrong. I stand on the sidelines every Saturday. I know what my eyeballs tell me, but I also know that this time next year, a lot of guys that lead programs are going to be doing things that are no longer necessities simply because they found a better way in a time of crisis. Just like Vince McMahon just found a better way somehow in a time of crisis than he would have if he held WrestleMania in a football stadium. And that is how WrestleMania applies to college football right now. We had a number of questions in the inbox, so let me get to a few here. Always love the name Atticus, so I'm going to lead it off with a question from Atticus Cohen. It's a question that, as far as I can tell, I've heard asked every year about Auburn football. The tight end position and the fullback position, are they going to be incorporated and used more this year? There were times back in, uh, I would call them Gus Malzahn's glory days. I mean, the very beginning of his stay at Auburn. How does it get any better than playing for a national championship? Unless you win one, and they came up just short. But back then, and in the couple of years after that, they had some really, really good offensive personnel pieces that were overlooked because they had been recruited and underdeveloped and improperly leveraged and utilized. Guys like Jay Prosh, who's kind of a last of a dying breed sort of player, phenomenal fullback. CJ Uzama was a guy they had as a tight end that they could just as easily flex out to a slot receiver. And obviously why that was so important is because Malzahn's offense could be multiple and they could work with tempo and do the same thing that LSU just did this past year. Thaddeus Moss was used a lot the same way at the tight end, quote unquote, tight end position for LSU that CJ Uzama used to be used. It's really hard when a guy can line up as an inline blocker and then 13 seconds after the whistle is blown, line up in the slot and you don't get to substitute defensively because you don't have time to. Those are the pieces they used to have. They haven't been that versatile. Therefore, they haven't been that multiple. You got to have versatility with your personnel to be multiple in your packages. They haven't had that. And so every offseason, as Atticus just asked, folks ask at Auburn, how are we going to fully incorporate the fullback and the tight end? Because that's what they remember. And the answer is, I have no clue. Every single year in spring camp, there are names like J.J. Wilson this past year, I remember, was a name that I kept reading about out of Auburn. And I was paying attention because I always pay attention to those position groupings because I know that's when Malzahn's offense is at its best. And I know you just hired a new offensive coordinator in Chad Morris. I'm still going to call it Gus Malzahn's offense. My answer, Atticus, is I don't know. There was the obligatory, oh, we're going to use the tight end more. But you hear that with every offensive coordinator hire. When's the last time an OC got hired and said, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of use for tight ends. Even if they don't, they never say it. It's, it's no good for recruiting, and it's no good for telegraphing what you do. And so it also doesn't excite a fan base. You get a guy who talks about how we're going to properly utilize the tight end position, that really fires up a fan base. My, my answer is I have no clue. And since we didn't get any spring ball at Auburn, and this is one of many programs hiring a new offensive coordinator and yet losing a spring to install, what's Gus Malzahn doing at Auburn right now? How are they marrying what Bo Nix can do and the 
personnel that they have currently and having to replace all these offensive linemen with what they're going to do offensively. What if previously Gus Malzahn was fully bought into handing over the reins of the offense to Chad Morris, but now without a spring to install whatever knew they were going to do, all of a sudden he has trepidation, cold feet, he feels uncomfortable. What if that happens at Georgia? What if that happens at LSU defensively? A lot of what ifs. Some of them are going to figure it out. Others are going to be exposed in the fall. Don't know who's going to be who yet. Clem and Son. Don't know if it's a, an auto shop company in South Carolina or this is just a really fancy screen name. Clem and Son. Now think about this. This is a futures bet. You can bet along with me. Florida State is currently 20 and 13 all time. Full disclosure, I did not check the validity of this. Colin saw me get the question and write it down. According to Clem and Son, we're going to hope the stat's right. FSU is 20 and 13 all time versus Clemson. Who reaches 21 wins first? Translation, will Clemson win eight consecutive games over Florida State before Florida State's able to win one? Well, by default, I just have to assume either disaster is going to strike at some point, upset's going to strike at some point, or maybe Mike Norvell will just become very competitive at Florida State. So they got to win one before Clemson wins eight. I'm going to take FSU to win one game. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Thomas Hallman just gave us darn near $5, so I've got to acknowledge him. We are always appreciative of the Super Chats. Should we, assume they mean South Carolina here, should we give Muschamp another year? Because I don't know if Bobo has time to build a new offense. This is actually a really good question, and it applies beyond South Carolina. Think about who you perceive to be on the hot seat. Will Muschamp fits that description. Entering spring ball, entering the 2020 season, who was on the hot seat. Now I want you to imagine a world wherein these programs lose football revenue. I don't think this will happen, but it could happen. What if there is a medium that has to be met where college football games are played in empty stadiums? Again, don't foresee that happening, but what if it does happen? How does that impact the financial coffers of programs like South Carolina, where in turn, instead of readily being able to pay buyout money, all of a sudden, you've got to really tighten up the purse strings. Just one very side sort of ancillary note to keep in mind, this could be in play. You could have a lot of guys with sort of a figurative stay of execution if the revenues for football are impacted in the 2020 season. 
So that's a good question there, Thomas. I think a lot of it depends. Well, it first and foremost depends on how they operate this year. And you asked about Bobo and the installation of the offense. I will tell you this from someone really close to those guys, really close to the program. There is, for the first time, a sense that Muschamp has a guy as his OC that he has no problem totally handing control to. We've heard it said before. All I can tell you is I've never fully heard that sentiment expressed from the particular people that I'm talking about right now. So I have no choice but to believe them. Well, I have a choice, but I'm going to believe them. And therefore, I'm going to believe that even with the current circumstances as they are, Will Muschamp and Mike Bobo believe that they can be offensively what they need to be. If you miss the sort of comparison that I gave, uh, it's been a couple of weeks now, to South Carolina this year, you can think of South Carolina football this year the same way you think of being rushed in the morning. You know the feeling. Uh, you have probably not gone to the office in a little while, but eventually when things return to normal, my guess is May, by the way, when things return to normal and a lot of us start going back to an office on a day-to-day -day basis, you got to be there at 8 a.m. and it's 7.41 already and it's a 20-ish minute drive to work. You already don't know if you're going to get there on time. So you grab your stuff, you grab your keys, you grab your briefcase and you get in the car and you're flying down the interstate, running through in your mind the checklist. Did I remember everything? Knowing all the while, if you forgot something, you have no opportunity to turn around. So that's South Carolina this year. If everything hits the ground running as it's supposed to, they could be a good team this year. But if even one thing goes wrong, they don't have time to fix it. Right now, Will Muschamp is not working with an extra year in his back pocket. He doesn't have that safety net. I thought he had it last year, and I was right. I didn't ever buy into the hot seat talk last year. I do. If things are back to normal, I do this year. So if they leave the house at 741 and they got everything, they can get there by 8 o'clock. Are they going to have everything? That's the big question. Uh, Luke Wildman said, biggest impact freshman for LSU this year. Easy answer for me, Eric Gilbert, if he's healthy. Tight end out of Marietta. I know Thaddeus Moss. Two Thaddeus Moss mentions on the show tonight. I know Thaddeus Moss was a phenomenal player for LSU. Please don't misunderstand me here. I think Eric Gilbert has the opportunity to be a generational talent for whoever he plays for. This was the biggest surprise to me in the entire recruiting cycle last year. Everyone I knew thought it was down to Georgia and Alabama, and then everyone leading up 48 hours, 72 hours leading up to his announcement, every, guys, I mean folks who don't miss on this stuff. Everyone who's reputable thought he was going to Alabama. I would have put about as much money as I'm comfortable staking on a 17-year-old kid's uh, decision on him going to Alabama. Well, he goes to LSU. Huge get. It didn't happen on National Signing Day. That's why I think it was lost in the shuffle. It happened before Signing Day. Big get for LSU. So what he is, is he's a guy who has all the characteristics of being a true number one receiver, but yet he happens to weigh about 240, 250 pounds. He's got freakish athleticism. He played at Marietta High School. They played really good teams. That's a suburb of Atlanta, for those of you unfamiliar geographically. And I remember so vividly, I was on the field for uh, one of his games, but I remember so vividly, they would run like jet sweeps with him, end arounds with him from the tight end spot. And he would get the corner on defensive backs that he was giving up 75 pounds to. And it looked like he did it with ease. He ran a lot like, um, I'll tell you a good comparison would be, 
I don't know, maybe Campbell, maybe, or maybe Eric Dickerson's probably a good comparison of his running style. Head doesn't move. You know, he runs like a racehorse, but his head doesn't move. It just looks so effortless, so fluid. That's Eric Gilbert, I think. And now with the offense they run down there, with, again, being able to properly use the insane amounts of wide receiver and tight end talent they've always had, Eric Gilbert, if he's healthy, I know he had an off-season surgery. If he's healthy, he'll be the impact freshman for LSU. I don't have a lot of doubt about that. And when I mentioned Thaddeus Moss, I mentioned his name because as good as Thaddeus Moss was, I think the tight end position was upgraded the day Eric Gilbert stepped on campus. Moss is going to the NFL. He's about to be playing on Sundays. Eric Gilbert's that good. I think he'll be that good as a true freshman. Jaden Smith. Asked about Herm Edwards at Arizona State. What is the ceiling at Arizona State? Well, since Texas A&M hired Jimbo Fisher, I now view Arizona State and Georgia Tech to be, for, for very different reasons, to be the two biggest sleeping giant programs in America. There's no reason, no reason whatsoever, why Arizona State cannot be a perennial Pac-12 championship contender, uh, therefore could not be a college football playoff contender. Now, two things working against them. Recent history... Uh, current roster, and Pac-12 perception. Perception is reality with the Pac-12 right now. Uh, it's an inferior conference. That doesn't mean a good product couldn't come from it, but they're an inferior conference right now, and Arizona State has been a largely inferior program for a little while. But I asked this question last year on our show when we were doing it in Georgia, because someone asked me the programs that I thought were the biggest sleeping giants. The obvious answer for a long time was Texas A&M. They had everything. They have everything it takes to win championships, and they weren't doing it. So at least they went out and made a big hire, and it remains to be seen what Fisher's results will be there. But they have recognized their hiring potential, at least. So now that I temporarily pushed them aside, Arizona State is the next answer here as, as it pertains to who the biggest sleeping giants in college football were. And so you get the obvious pushback because they haven't done anything. And yet, I don't care about what they have done. You're asking me what they could do. And so I tell you, well, I think they could be a year in and year out top 15 kind of program and team, therefore. And when you argue otherwise, I just ask why. Look at, in any given year, the top 15. What do those programs possess that Arizona State doesn't or couldn't possess? They overachieved last year. It could be year one, could be flash in the pan, or it could just be that Herm Edwards got some stuff figured out. But Arizona State's a program, if you believe in buying stock in college football programs, that's one for a long time now that the buy signal has always been on for me. To date, it's still a good time to buy because to date, the price has not gone up a whole lot. We really appreciate you joining us. I'll tell you what. We have developed somewhat of a habit with our viewers of when you're watching, and we got a lot of you watching live right now, clicking that thumbs up button. Now, what that does for us, I've explained this, I think, a couple of times. What that does is once we get over the 50 likes mark, which I think we're at right now, it really triggers something in the algorithm for YouTube, and it puts us in a lot more of the suggested feeds and a lot more of the browser search results. So really boring stuff for you, but it means a lot for us, and it helps us grow the channel. So we appreciate it when you click that thumbs up button, whether you're watching it live or watching the replay. We also appreciate, and I can see every single time it happens with the analytics in the back door of this, I can see every time anyone shares our links on Reddit or tweets it out or puts it on message boards, and we appreciate that too. I don't have time. I can't thank all of you because sometimes I don't know who does it. I just know that it happens. So that's the way, honestly, we've been able to develop a lot of our network is by, you know, sort of virtually meeting people through different outreach 
via Reddit, via all different kinds of platforms. So we appreciate that. The Easter Sunday holiday is the most important of the year for me personally. We will not have a show this Sunday. We will have one next Thursday. So it's just one Sunday off. We'll return to normalcy next Thursday. The Late Kick podcast is live. Search Late Kick with Josh Pate anywhere you get your podcast or click the link in the show description below. And I saw a number of you, I had to thank you for this too, gave us five-star reviews and left some actual written reviews in the podcast link, and we really appreciate that too. That helps us a whole lot. Apple pays a whole lot of attention to what kind of rating you give someone, and they pay a lot of attention to your comments and how many comments that you're able to get. So we got all that out of the way. Have a very, very good, very safe weekend. I think we're creeping closer to normalcy. I certainly absolutely think that a college football season is in store for us in 2020. Just imagine this as we go. Right now, we're kind of in the desert, and you're wandering, and you're wandering, and you're wandering, but eventually, you're going to wake up one morning, or you're going to be at lunch in the middle of the day, and you're going to pull up your phone, and there's going to be a breaking news alert from wherever you get your news from, and it's going to say, college football will resume at fill-in-the-blank. Think about how happy you'll be. I know how happy, actually, I probably can't put into words how happy I'll be, but it will happen. And whereas we've been here during the tough times, we'll certainly be here in force when the good times return. You've been with us the whole time, though, so we really appreciate that. We'll be back next Thursday. Enjoy your Easter holiday weekend. I'm Josh Pate. For Colin, for Aaron, for everyone here, this is The Late Kick. Have a great weekend. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.